Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless Possible. Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello, Zara McDonald, and hello, producer Annabelle. Hello. Hey, team. Coming up on today's show, the tricky story behind the top trending show on Netflix right now, Inventing Anna. Abby Chatfield announces she's in an open relationship. Kanye can't stop posting about Skeet Davidson. And finally, Mish comes to the table for my two cents. What's up with young people and condoms? But first, Michelle, how was your week? It was a good week. We went to Sydney at the end of last week. So it was funny, we got on the podcast last week and we're like, we've spent, I think it was 15 days in a row together or something at that point. I had completely forgotten that that night we were going to then be spending another three days basically living on top of each other. So that was fun. What a delight. What a delight. (laughs) We had the best time over in Sydney and yeah, it's been a really, really good week. I have a banger, a cracker recommendation for you both. Starts humbly. We love it. (laughs) Have you seen King Richard? No. No. You know I am desperate to as well. Yeah, I know. I'm rubbing salt into the wound for Zara because she's been so sad. She hasn't been able to go out to the cinemas and see it. If you guys listen and not familiar, King Richard is the feature film that is in cinemas right now, all about the stories and the lives of Richard, Serena and Venus Williams. Ever since we watched the trailer of this, we would have watched the trailer of this, what, six months ago? Is that even feasible? Well, I think Will Smith was doing a lot of publicity for it about four or five months ago and we watched it as part of that. Yeah, I think his book was coming out at a similar time, so Will Smith was everywhere. He's been nominated for an Oscar for this. Was he incredible? He... I I don't even know how to describe this movie and do it justice, guys. I sat there and I knew that I was in for a long haul because it is a long film, longer than most. And I was like, well, how am I... Wait, how long? I think it was like two and a half hours, maybe. maybe That's fine. Why a film so long these days? It actually needed to be that long. And dare I say, it flew like my I went with my girlfriends it was the best night ever and we all turned to each other at the end of the film and we're like that was remarkable and it did not feel like it dragged at all it did not feel too long 
I thought Will Smith was just remarkable in it. I thought every actor just absolutely did their part so, so well. The way they mimicked real life at the end, they did that whole montage thing where they show you what things really looked like behind the scenes and then how they recreated it in the film. The attention to detail, the acting, the dialogue was 10 out of 10 one of the best films I have seen, full stop. Oh, my God. I'm desperate to see it. <laughs> you said it's not in the cinemas for much longer, though, so I might have to find it on a streaming service soon. Yeah, we had to find quite a random cinema that was still displaying it. But I'm hoping, given it's on its way out, I think it premiered in late November. So given it's on its way out of cinemas, I'm hoping this recommendation means that you guys can all stream it very, very soon on streaming services. I also haven't been to the movie since the pandemic began. You need to go. The, the movies are such a vibe and I had forgotten what it's like. It's just that I think the thing about the movie the movie sounds like such a juvenile turn. The pictures. Like, the, the cinema. The pictures, the cinema. I don't, there's actually no appropriate term that sounds right for your age at 27. <laughs> is finding the appropriate time to watch a film. Mm. Because sometimes it can go over a meal time and you get hungry. Or if you want to eat a little bit of dinner beforehand, then it starts really late and it goes really late. And I find the whole thing a bit hard to navigate. Yeah, the girls and I chose a 7.30 screening if anyone's interested. Got okay. a quick bite to eat. But it was like... You guys need to, you need to see it with a capital N, like bold, underline everything. I will be. I've just got to get my hands on it first, and I'll let you know how I go. <laughs> what about you? How was your week? I had a really good week. I have to say, I wanted to give a shout out to a guy named Ed who came up to me in the supermarket on Sunday because he was an 18 year old boy who <gasps> listens to the show. Edward, and I have boy, never, boy. I've never <laughs> been approached. I think I've been approached by a man maybe once or twice. You know what happens? We're we're approached by male partners. Yeah. Yes. Austin a male partner will come up and say, my girlfriend loves you guys. She's too shy to come say hi. But I listen sometimes in the car to love your work. It's never a boy by himself. At the supermarket, Ed came up and said, Zara, I love your show. And I thought, Aww. and do you know what? Horrendously, my first instinct was this guy is taking the piss out of me. There is no way he likes his show. But he did and he said he and his friends all used to listen when they're at school in their final year of year 12. So, Ed, you absolutely deserve a shout out because I don't know any other 18 year old males who listen so if there are other 18 year old males that listen holler at us holler at us let us know i also have a slight update for you both about jubbly mugs are they shipped well i haven't heard about them ever since so i'm wondering have i been scammed you know this is so awkward because we had so many listeners dm us being like where have you guys bought these i cannot find anywhere legit where you can actually buy a jubbly mug have you just spent 180 dollars on a scammer (laughs) Nice. So no shipping notification. I got a, a notification when I bought them, and it was like you've been scared. No, yeah. <laughs> I said it, it said thank you for your order. My order is number six thousand and eight. It is now being processed. Uh, and how long has it been? That was eight days ago. That's is that fine? Wildly concerning, no, if you ask me. It's because it's international. I feel like it's going to take a while. I agree. I feel like this could be the kind of thing where in six months the jubbly <laughs> mugs just turn up at our office in Cremorne. <laughs> I absolutely think that's what could happen. But I will keep everyone updated. It might be a while before you see them in our photos. Your weekly jubbly update. <laughs> your Have you got a recommendation for the listeners? I do. I watched The Tinder Swindler this week. <gasps> I'm not one for big Netflix documentaries that are going viral. I'm never kind of on cool enough to be on the bandwagon of things but I did turn this on this week and I did really enjoy it have either of you watched it no No, but my sister has and she loved it it was really good it went for about 
maybe an hour and a half to two hours. So not stupidly long. I can get a bit bored. I don't know what it is about me. But the story, I think you can imagine exactly what it is from the title. It is about a Tinder, I'm going to call him fraudster, con man, you know, that kind of brand of guy who dates women, finds women and takes them for a ride. It sounds like who the hell is Hamish? Have you guys listened to that podcast? No. no. It sounds like that kind of – so he dates people and scams them out of money? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I, it's always hard because I don't want to give too much away. But that is the crux of what it is. And it's a pretty remarkable story because the women who were victims of his crimes have done incredible work since then to try and make this story known. Because he travels all the time, this guy – and this is not a spoiler. Well, I'm just deciding what a spoiler is and what it isn't. But because this guy travels so much and is meeting women in all different countries, there's like no single jurisdiction that could take him down. So it's incredibly complex. And so these women have done an incredible job to get the story out, even being made into a documentary. So I really would recommend that 100%. Love that. Is that on Netflix, sorry? That is on Netflix. And speaking of Netflix, Mish, let's jump into our first segment of the show because we are starting with the top trending show Show? Yes. Show, yeah. On Netflix drama. right now, Inventing Anna. It is the TV show that everybody is talking about and, boy, is there a lot going on. Yeah, well, this is the thing. Everyone's talking about the Tinder swindler. That's going off. But Inventing Anna has, like, surpassed it in the number of people watching. It is number one right now on Netflix Australia. It's number one in a few countries around the world. It is the drama series by Shonda Rhimes that recreates the true story of Anna Delvey. Now, if lots of you are recognising the name Anna Delvey but can't quite place it. She became known around the world in 2018 when her years-long fraud, where basically she convinced New York society elite that she was a German heiress, a socialite and an Instagram influencer, was exposed by New York magazine. That story, Zara, kind of came along when Shameless first began. We never discussed it on the show. Well, I went back through our show notes. I went deep And I couldn't find it anywhere, which I found quite remarkable because this was the sixth most clicked on article around the world in 2018. So good to know we're getting better at our jobs (laughs) (laughs) in covering the stories that we need to. But it was huge. I remember being obsessed with this story. Do you both remember when the story came out? Yeah, Yeah, I think so. And Annabelle, have you watched Inventing Annie You know what? I just watched the last episode last night. Oh, so you finished it. it. So you're further ahead than we are. Incredible stuff. So this was a woman, as Mish said, who conned everyone from Wall Street bankers to hoteliers to close friends out of hundreds of thousands of dollars. She was incredibly conniving and was able to get a whole lot of money by doing, I'm going to say by doing not much, but I guess at the end of the day, tricking people out of money takes a bit of work. (laughs) Um, But this show, Mish, at the moment, I mean, I was so excited for it to be made because it was made by Shonda Rhimes. How are you finding it so far? Yeah, look, I have enjoyed the first few episodes. Uh, It's not my favourite show ever. Like I wouldn't have gotten on this podcast and recommended it for people to go watch because I find the acting a little dodgy. Yeah, it's so funny. I have read what's been really interesting is Anna Delvey, whose real name is actually Anna Sorokin. Anna Delvey was the name that she conned people Mm. with. Uh, The actress playing that character is getting ragged on a tiny bit for her accent and I think that's kind of what's playing into this narrative about the acting because people are like this accent simply cannot be real but the people in Anna's life are like no this is exactly what it was like I think this woman was just such a character and it almost looks like she's being overacted but perhaps that's what she was like yeah yeah it's a very unusual character to kind of wrap your head around so what's been really interesting about this show as well are the headlines that have come out this week that 
Anna, real life Anna Delvey, was actually paid by Netflix over $320,000 US for her story. She was actually given $30,000 pre-trial. So before this had even been seen by the courts and before she'd been convicted of several counts of attempted theft and larceny in 2019. This money that Netflix paid her apparently went directly to her lawyer, Todd Spodek, to cover a portion of his fees. Now, this sits really unusually with me because I'm watching this drama, I'm really enjoying it, I'm finding it very interesting learning about the real-life crimes of Anna Sorokin slash Anna Delvey. But at the same time, she is directly profiting from this story being told. So we're seeing a criminal who is benefiting from the fame, from the notoriety, and lining her pockets with cash. It's a really interesting dynamic and it is something that's been touched upon on the news, but I don't think enough, to be totally honest with you, especially that single fact that she was given $30,000 of the $320,000 pre-trial, which, as you said, went straight to her lawyer, because other people have come out and said, especially her former friends who were duped out of like thousands of dollars, saying... Could this have affected the outcome of the trial given the legal representation she could afford? But I think it is a really interesting dynamic when she is gaining so much from this story and at the end of the day she very much appears like a character who wants exactly that. It is worth noting as well that people might get very technical in this conversation and say, well, Anna didn't get all the money to spend on fast cars and nice clothes, which is true because Deadline reported that she paid $199,000 in restitution, $24,000 in fines and $75,000 in lawyer fees. But I think it's still relevant. Like, to me, it doesn't really matter what the money is being spent on. She's still getting the money to pay back debts. Yeah, and wouldn't you say the debt is part, like, a very crucial part of the punishment for her crime and for her actually showing that she is, like, repenting that crime? Because, yes, she spent a few years in prison. I think the original sentence term was between, like, four and 12 years. She ended up spending three and was let out early because of good behaviour. But then the work begins to pay the people back that you fucked over. It's odd to me that because you fucked people over in such a grand, interesting, viral way, we Netflix will hand you a paycheck to be like, well, here you go. It we will, really loved the drama of it all. It's sexy. It's like a sexy fucking over. It's really interesting because Anna's former best friend, Rachel Deloche-Williams, who says that Anna swindled her out of $60,000 that she never got back, wrote a piece for Time magazine this week, which is really worth reading. I will put a link in our show notes if people want to check that out. But one of her passages reads like this. If your crimes are splashy enough, the media company could snatch up the rights to your story pre-trial so that you're able to afford the attorney of your choice, one skilled enough to minimise your penalty. You could be paid so much money that even after your funds are frozen and victims are repaid, you have cash left over. And not only that, but if fame is what you're after, you have built yourself a brand, created a platform and found an audience to leverage for future opportunities. I mean, she also makes... A good point, right? Because it's like, well, yes, as we said, a lot of the money is going to a million different places, but the the reality is also that there was money left over. Like she is benefiting quite a lot from this. But then the flip side of it, of this conversation, which we would be totally remiss to ignore, is that we're all watching the show. Yeah. So it's like, can you be that outraged about her being paid for this if you really willingly want to go and watch the TV show? Annabelle, did Mm. you know, because what I would say to that, Zara, is so many people watching this are not knowing. Yeah, maybe. The headlines aren't big enough to know that when they support this show, 
they're they're like supporting the woman who committed the crimes. But then also on the other hand, I'm about to get to my question. <laughs> I, just I just had this thought, this train of thought. She's already been paid. So what effect does anyone have by watching it now? Netflix has already sent her the money. Me watching it doesn't actually line her pockets more. The money's been sent. The job has been done. I think, sorry, uh, just to come back to you and Annabelle. <laughs> we like, will what's get, the question? I don't know what the question is. <laughs> I appreciate the sentiment of that question, but I think it misses the point where it's like attention is what people are after and attention is the most valuable thing you can give mm. anyone and attention is the most valuable thing you can give Netflix. Even though the money is being paid, you're also kind of investing in future projects that could do exactly the same thing. What's your question for Annabelle? My question, does knowing that Anna Delvey's pocketing 320 grand USD for this show change your relationship with it now that you've finished watching? Like, does that make it feel a bit icky or a bit yuck? A little bit, but I don't regret watching it because I wasn't really across the story. So I ended up yeah. watching the whole series because I was just curious to know what happened yeah. and they did kind of like really humanize her near the end of the show and like throughout as well there were pockets of like them humanizing why she was doing it and they the actress really made like her emotions clear I thought the main actress was great yeah I'm finding yeah. her pretty good and that's really interesting because I went into the show knowing that she was paid for it and I don't know, I, maybe I feel conflicted about it, but I don't think icky is the right word. I think this is just like natural human behaviour, right? It's like knowing that, yes, the point that I made before about the most valuable thing you can give anyone is attention and still going against that. It's like ultimate cognitive dissonance. I did find this quote from her lawyer in an interview with 60 Minutes Australia pretty interesting too. He was interviewed and he said, she is obviously famous, people like engaging with her, her social media is blowing up. So I hope that she can harness all of this into something really positive, productive and monetize on it. I hope she can make a real business out of it. I hate it. Sorry. That, I hate it. That brazenness makes me feel icky. So maybe I want Anna's story or maybe I want Anna's to make money in a way that's delicate and not kind of brazen and a bit more polite. Maybe I am the problem. No, we are not the problem. I know. But do you know what I mean? It's incredibly hard to make sense of your own behavior and your own thoughts. There you go, guys. Just go scam people in your pocket 300 grand for it. Coming up after the break, Abby Chatfield announces she's in an open relationship. Kanye won't stop posting about Skeet Davidson. And then Mish comes to the table for my two cents. But first, a word from today's sponsor. And now it's time for the oh, quick as always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Annabelle Lee, last week you got on this show and absolutely fucking pillaged us oh, no. for not having clever, sassy, funny enough middle You're giving her too much time with this run-up. <laughs> so, go on, you can introduce Zara's, given it's Zara's rundown today. <laughs> This makes no sense. Bear with me. Zara McScammy McDonald's. Oh, no, that's no good. You're out. That is pathetic. My, pathetic. my first story, I'm rolling right on. Abby Chatfield reveals she and Conrad are in an open relationship. That is from Yahoo. Now, I saw this come up straight away on my TikTok feed almost the minute the episode had dropped. I don't know where you guys came across this news. And I was so intrigued by the conversation that Abby and Conrad had on her podcast. It's a lot this week. I mean, I immediately came across it because you immediately DM'd it to me. Yeah, so I sent it to you straight away. Thank you for that. If you missed this, on Tuesday's episode of 
Courtney Chatfield's podcast. It's a lot. She was joined by her boyfriend, who we mostly know from The Bachelor 2021. And about halfway through the episode, Conrad and Abby announced that they have opened up their relationship. Yeah, exactly. So these two have been dating since November last year, and they do long distance between Byron and Sydney. So for the first half of this episode, they spoke a lot about their relationship, as you said, Mish, but also how tough long distance can be and how they've sort of been sorting out their dynamic for some time. And then in the second half of the episode, they announced this. Everyone, Mummy and Daddy aren't breaking up. We're just having a different structure to our relationship. So we're open. <laughs> we so we're, we're in like an open relationship, which we love. Mish, what I really enjoyed about listening to this conversation, I think, is how Abby and Conrad knew that in announcing this news, people would project their own feelings about monogamy onto them Mm. and not even realise that that's what they're doing. Like Abby said a few times, people will not only just get angry with me, they'll get upset with me as if I'm betraying them by making a decision that is right for my life and my relationship because what people think maybe that means their partner might cheat on them. That's genuinely what she said. She's like, this doesn't mean your partner is going to cheat on you this doesn't mean this dynamic is right for you this is just what's right for us yeah it's so interesting because if you do listen to the episode she does repeatedly say like this is just us this is just what's working for us take a deep breath please don't get offended it has nothing to do with you and I loved that because it's so true it's like why do people get so offended when a high profile couple comes out and says maybe we have a dynamic that isn't the typical relationship dynamic why do people see that as a reflection of their relationship, like what's happening there when they witness someone kind of live out ethical non-monogamy and that person in their head witnessing that says, this is a reflection on me or this says something about the way I'm living. I also think they acknowledged beautifully as well how people do have a level of scepticism for people that do practice ethical non-monogamy. Like Abby and Conrad both said they have no doubt, and this has kind of already happened, that they know that conversations will be, well, Abby is forcing Conrad or Conrad is forcing Abby, Mm. that one of them, that one person in that relationship is kind of putting it on the other rather than a joint decision they've both come to. Abby made another interesting point to be like, some people will think the only reason I want to do this is because I've been cheated on before Mm. and therefore can't possibly handle some sort of monogamous dynamic. So it's like a preemptive strike. It's like instead of being cheated on, I'll set up this dynamic. She was like, people will level that at me. And I was like, I can see why people would do that. In no way do I think it's right in any way, shape or form, but I can see that happening. Like I think she's absolutely bang on. They also kind of put out on the table their rules, which I found really interesting. So they said their rules at the moment, which they're still in the process of kind of fine tuning with their sex therapist, is that they can't have sex with someone they've had sex with before, like an ex or maybe a former fling or whatever. They are not allowed to have sex with friends, like mutual friends or any friends. Great rule. Great rule. (laughs) They are not allowed to have sex more than once with someone unless they kind of have a conversation about it first. And I was like, these are fascinating rules to me. I mean, I don't know a lot about ethical non-monogamy. I'm in a pretty monogamous relationship. I love that you say pretty. Yeah, yeah like a, actually a completely watertight monogamous relationship. But I do think if you are not across this kind of stuff or you do want to learn more, the way they talk about their dynamic and how they decided to open up is definitely worth listening to. Yeah, and I think it's also definitely worth checking yourself. Even after this episode and even after all the caveats saying, please do not see this as a reflection of you, some people are still commenting on their videos like, run, Conrad, she's going to break your heart. Yes, absolutely. What a fucking sex demon Abby is to be kind of 
I don't know, trying to break his heart this way. But they also share in the episode, Conrad is the one who has so far had sex with people outside the relationship. Abby hasn't even had the time to do it yet. I also feel like they absolutely had to talk about this publicly. Yes, and they I, had to do it now. They had to do it quickly and they had to do it now because I think getting ahead of the story and getting ahead of the narrative so that people don't try to spread rumours about them that they can kind of share their story in their way is really important because God knows how people would be trying to trip them up mm. perhaps because they are in the public eye if they didn't do this. So congrats, is that the word I use? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like they're like doing really well like it sounds like this is absolutely something that works for them they've sat down they've realized that they're not jealous people whatsoever this actually is Abby's kink she said like she's turned on she's very turned on by the idea of her partner having sex with other people so like fucking power to you if only everyone could just listen to that and hear that and be like cool good on you yeah your life not mine yeah yeah. my second story dr dre snoop dogg eminem kendrick lamar and mary j blige's halftime show was an all-timer that is from the guardian yeah so it's kind of insane to think that this performance during the week was only 12 minutes long because i think it was so memorable and so iconic if you missed it tens of millions of people around the world did tune in to see an A plus 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 R and B and rap performance from these iconic artists. Did you watch it, Annabelle? I did. I saw you guys talking about it on Slack, and I I couldn't be fucked getting out of my desk, so I just googled watched live. <laughs> <laughs> I like, well, I was like messaging everyone on Slack. I was like, "Hey, everyone, halftime shows on. Like, this is part of your job. Yeah. Turn it on." And then the only person that was replying to me about it was Michelle. It was just you and me going back and forth. I'm like, this does explain why we are the ones with the pop culture. Podcast. I was like, <laughs> everyone else was like, I don't give a. Everyone fuck. ignored me. Now, the performance was really the vision of Dr. Dre, who is arguably the biggest and most influential producer in the history of the genre. He also is, of course, King of Beats by Dr. Dre, if anyone's (laughs) interested. It received a performance review of five out of five by The Guardian's Sam Wolfson. Now, I think the other part of this performance that has garnered heaps of commentary online is when Eminem took the stage and he actually took a knee in sort of a break of his performance while Dr. Dre was on the piano because reportedly before he went on stage, the NFL had said you aren't allowed to take a knee. Now, when I say take a knee, of course, we remember when Colin Kaepernick used to take a knee during the American National Anthem before games to protest against racial inequality and police brutality. And of course, his career basically never recovered. So... It sounded like Eminem intended to take knee. The NFL were like, don't do that, don't make this political, but he did anyway, which I think was really important given the NFL's history of racism and and who he was taking stage with, like just some of the biggest black entertainers in the world. Yeah, 100%. One detail that really surprised me this week that the listeners might not know about is the people who perform actually aren't paid which is so interesting because when Mitch and I were watching this at home we were like how much has the NFL paid to have all of these incredible R&B and rap artists like this would be tens of millions of dollars that they're out of pocket not the case the people who perform at the Super Bowl halftime show aren't paid at all the NFL and the TV production company behind the event kind of foot about a $10 million bill. So whatever you want to do for your performance, stage, backing dancers, production, whatever, they'll give you 10 mil. The talent then foot the rest of the bill and the whole benefit of doing the damn thing 
is like the PR that you personally get from being involved. Yeah, so Dr. Dre reportedly poured about $10 million of his own money into this performance to make it what it was. He spent $10 million. <laughs> Which is just crazy. Apparently last year, The weekend poured in about US $7 million of his own money. So these people are really committing to having a show-stopping performance. And it was. Like this year really was. I'm always blown away during the halftime show, particularly this year with the massive sort of stage set up and the massive sort of contraption they had Mm. built. How this is all done and then – like 10 minutes later, they're back on the field. Like the sportsmen yeah. are back on the field throwing a ball. Yeah. It's <laughs> like the least technical. Like. Throwing a ball. If anyone can't see that, she literally just reached over the podcast table with her best NFL throw. <laughs> that was my best NFL throw. I would also like the maths. Like I would just like to know how much do these artists benefit from like Spotify streams going up in the months after? Because I'm guessing they must make this 10 mil back very quickly to do it. I also think with a performance like this, the nostalgia, <laughs> the nostalgia, I can't say that that word anymore. The nostalgic factor would be huge, right? People would watch this and be like, I am obsessed with these songs again. I just want to go back and listen to them again in a way that perhaps they hadn't in a while. Yeah. My third story, Brooke Blurton claims David Garielli went public with their split to humiliate her. That is from news.com. Interesting. So speaking in an interview with NITV's The Point, which will actually be released in full tonight the day that we're recording this we're recording this on Wednesday so by the time this episode comes out the whole interview's out time is (laughs) (laughs) it's like time is a flat circle it was last night (laughs) so hopefully you can all get your head around that (laughs) so we don't have the full interview but we do have a snippet of that interview that Brooke Blurden has done and in that snippet she said some pretty interesting things mostly Zara she expressed her disappointment that David her ex-bachelor partner chose to announce that they had gone their separate ways that they had split without her knowing like he took to his Instagram stories announced the split and Brooke says that was designed to humiliate her yeah she said being in the public eye is already so difficult dealing with criticism and dealing with trolls and putting yourself out there in such a vulnerable place it's already so hard to navigate adding the layers and complexities of a very public relationship being from a show that doesn't have the biggest success rate in terms of relationships working out it's a lot of pressure I had no choice in any part of the split going public, but it did. I would have preferred not to. I feel like it was just to humiliate me, have one over me. I was silenced. I was defenceless. I just had to cop it. Hmm. What do we make of that? Well, I think it's, for me, what I feel like with this story is I don't think it's the last sort of headlines we're going to see about Brooke and David. I feel like there's stuff simmering under the surface. I mean, David came out and rebutted this story himself and I was like I just feel like there's still stuff going on that could blow I don't know what do you think I agree there's animosity there for sure because Dava's response in his Instagram stories on Wednesday morning read when will it end this was never my intention there's a lot more to the story that hasn't been shown I've stayed quiet in the hopes it would simmer out incredibly confused as to why it's being dragged on as I said I feel like there is certainly more going on and I would be surprised if this was the last we heard of them my fourth story Kanye West continues Instagram spree calls Pete Davidson a dickhead and accuses him of destroying his family that is from the Daily Mail and my goodness it's been another difficult week of Kanye headlines yeah a big week of Kanye headlines so he continued his social media tirade in the last seven days 
So this week, Kanye West, or Ye, took aim at Billie Eilish in particular. If you missed it, essentially what happened between Billie Eilish and Kanye West was Billie got up on a stage in Atlanta in the last week. And when she saw a potential crowd crush happening, halted the show, said into her microphone to the fan that she saw below, do you need an inhaler? Guys, give it some time. Don't crowd. We're taking care of our people. Hold on. I wait for people to be okay until I keep going. Now, Kanye somehow got his hands on this audio and this footage and took it to be a direct and intentional slight to Travis Scott, Kanye's now former brother-in-law. He wrote on Instagram, Billy, please apologize to Trav. Trav will be with me at Coachella, but now I need Billy to apologize before I perform. To which Billy Eilish responded, literally never said a thing about Travis, was just helping a fan. Yeah, he also used this week to publicly declare his love for ex-wife Kim Kardashian and ask for her back. Like he wrote in one post, hold your spouse close, make sure they know how much you love and appreciate them because there's a skeet lurking in every dirty ass alley waiting to help destroy your family and walk around in Calvin Klein's around your children. I wish my wife was with me and our children sitting at the 50 yard line. Kim Kardashian, always remember West was your biggest W. I mean, while we're here, of course, Julia Fox, the creative genius behind the Fox News interview and (laughs) now viral for saying uncut charms, (laughs) broke up with Kanye. I'm sorry if you don't understand that reference. It is not my responsibility to fill you in on it. And then he also informed his followers that he organised a truck to deliver a tray full of red roses to Kim And on the truck, he spelled out the words, my vision is crystal clear. KK, crystal with a K, clear with a K. So before the last couple of days, I was in two minds about this. On one hand, I was finding like the photoshopped images he made of like the Marvel poster, for example, that included Taylor Swift and Billie Eilish and Kid Cudi. I was laughing at that. I was finding that funny. But as time went on, even as the hours passed, the mood changed so deeply and so quickly and it became completely not funny all of a sudden. We said last week that his behaviour towards Kim Kardashian as a former partner who has said she doesn't want anything to do with him in a romantic capacity, that stuff is already concerning that it keeps pushing the Kim and Kanye kind of like, let's heal our relationship line. But on top of that, he's also heaping on this commentary that maybe Pete Davidson, Kim Kardashian's partner, it now seems like, like legit partner, not just PR partner, deserves to be physically injured because of his proximity to Kanye's ex-wife. This week, he even shared screenshots from Kim Kardashian asking him to defuse the situation that he has now created towards Pete Davidson. Kanye wrote, upon my wife's request, please nobody do anything physical to skeet. I'm going to handle the situation myself. He then shared a screenshot of a private text message from Kim where she wrote, you are creating a dangerous and scary environment and someone will hurt Pete and this will be all your fault. When Kim then asked him subsequently after that was posted, can you please not share our private messages? Why does everything have to be so public? Kanye took another screenshot of that text and shared it on his Instagram again. Those posts have now been deleted. I think this is like a continually updating story when it comes to Kanye. But this is so deeply concerning in so many ways now, the way this has become potentially violent and threatening. Yeah, it's really scary and I agree with you. I think over the course of this story, there's been maybe I'll say highs and lows where people have 
parts of it funny at the start, but then the more that happens, people are like, oh, oh actually this isn't funny and actually never really was now mm. that I look at it in its entirety, it's deeply troubling. Like it is a deeply troubling story. And I mean, my greatest wish is that next week we don't have to cover this because there's no updates, but yeah. I don't think that's even going to be possible because I imagine this will kind of keep carrying on. But truthfully, I, I really feel for the family because I can't possibly imagine what this would be like. And we should call it what it is. Like it is abuse and harassment yeah. and it's very hard to watch. I also really feel for Pete Davidson. Like, yes, he has power and yes, he's a big celebrity with a lot of money and a lot at his disposal. But it would be very, very scary to have someone online with the cultural leverage of Kanye West kind of out for you physically or implying that you should be physically injured. And maybe the most surprising element of this entire story is that it seems like they're Kim dating and Pete are actually together, which if you had told us this last year, we were so sure. And we got on this microphone so many times and giggled at the fact they were trying to convince us they're together. I actually think by Feb 2022, it is a legit relationship. They are actually together and that's why Kanye is so upset about it. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Probably not the most important point out of this story, but certainly one that surprised me is yeah. that, yes, I 100% agree with you. My fifth and final story, Kylie Jenner shaded by ex-friend Tammy Hembrow after new mum accused of copying fitness model's son Wolf's name. <laughs> that what is from the sun. I don't think that's terrible. I was like, I stumbled over, like full disclosure, because I'm hoping Annabelle cuts half of those stumbles out. I stumbled Will I or won't I? <laughs> I stumbled over that so much. And then I was like, you know what? I am not the problem here. <laughs> yeah, you are not the problem there. The sun is the problem there, which tends to be the case when it comes to the sun. Yeah. So we know that Kylie Jenner gave birth on February 2 because she uploaded that tiny hand photo with 2 2022 and after muchos speculation about the baby's name she uploaded an instagram story this week announcing the name is wolf webster not exactly heaven or valentine <laughs> or nevaeh or nevaeh <laughs> does sound about right i guess so why is Tammy hembrow in the news mish well the fitness influencer and former friend has a bit of a history with kylie jenner and she also has a son named wolf yeah now our listeners might remember back in 2018 Tammy was actually invited to Kylie's 21st birthday but was unfortunately papped being carried out of the party lying face down on a stretcher and she had to do a YouTube video acknowledging the whole thing. She said she had collapsed because she was exhausted. She said she was super embarrassed about it and was running basically off 30 hours no sleep, had been super jet lagged and super, super exhausted. So after that, there was like all this speculation that her relationship with the Kardashians was broken. What is interesting is she still did continue to model for Good American after that. Yeah, for a little bit. It wasn't for too long. So we don't know if those shots were just shared after the incident but had already been taken. I do know for sure that some of the Kardashians and Jenners, including Kylie Jenner, unfollowed Tammy after that incident. So what actually happened is so Tammy kept modelling a little bit, as you say, for Khloe Kardashian's line Good American. And then only a year after that happened in 2019, there were actually rumours about Tammy and Tiger, Mm. Tiger being Kylie's ex. And that's when people realised that Kylie had unfollowed her. Now, whether or not that was a result of the story or the timing was just sort of convenient, who knows? But they aren't friends anymore. And now... Now people are like, well, Tammy has a son called Wolf and Kylie's just called her son Wolf. We wonder what Tammy thinks about that. And then Tammy uploaded an Instagram post <laughs> with her son saying, my Wolf, like the day that the name was announced. My Wolf, which I think is like the best way to throw 
sass because everyone fucking knows what you're doing but you could easily just hide behind like I would post this any day of the week he is my wolf 100% you guys are so petty but the top three comments one the first (laughs) one was liked 11,000 times which was lol why did I know this was coming the second one was shady love it and then the third one was the original in capital letters wolf (laughs) (laughs) well it's not like wolf is a common name it's not like everyone's out there calling their kid wolf give me a fucking break the animal was the original wolf (laughs) not not Tammy Embrow's kid anyway so that's my story and that's my quick and dirty. Thank you so much. Alrighty, guys, it is officially time for the return of one of our favourite segments. And that's my two cents. That is a Ken Brockman for anyone playing <laughs> Kenny. 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 <laughs> Mish, you requested we bring back my two cents today because you've had something weighing on your mind for a little while now and you want to bring it to the table, so... Bring it to the table. Ah, my two cents for the day, guys, is I am sick of the cultural attitude that asking men to wear condoms is annoying and inconvenient and naggy, whereas expecting women to take a daily medication in the form of the pill is nothing to see here. I am sick of it. This has been something that I've been feeling. It's been simmering away in my body for a little while, Zara. It's reared its head a couple of times and some angry rants to you about it. Because anecdotally, whether it be my friends, whether it be people that message the shameless mailbag, whether it be relationships that I hear about, I'm hearing a lot about men either refusing to wear condoms or putting pressure on their partner not to wear condoms. And then this week, that anecdotal vibe that I was getting was cemented by a BuzzFeed news article that had the headline, condomless sex is on the rise. This is why some people don't use them anymore. Yeah, it was like you find – I wouldn't be surprised if you've just been Googling condoms into Google <laughs> and clicking news every week to see if there's a news update to finally be allowed to talk about this in a way that's relevant. But I'll give it to you because you're absolutely right. It does very much feel like the mood anyway. I think the conversations that you and I have back and forth is like this feels like the mood, but how do we prove it's the mood? Mm. And then BuzzFeed will write an article being like, you girls are on the money all the time. <laughs> and I think, as you say – Culturally, I do feel like we're at a point, and the article does reference this, where condoms are either uncool and annoying and men are refusing to use them. And whether or not they're consciously putting pressure on women, women don't feel like they have the power to ask because they do feel like it's annoying and naggy and kind of getting in the way of their experience. And so women end up taking the emotional burden and often physical burden of contraception full time. Mm, Yeah. And I think this is the interesting part because I'm thinking back to when I was single and I touched on this in our book as well, Zara, The Space Between. When I was single, I did feel this unspoken pressure. It wasn't like a male partner ever turned to me and said, I don't want a condom. It was something as simple as, I don't have a condom on me. So it would, all, all the onus would be on me to raise the conversation. Like say we would go back to someone's house or someone would come back to my place or whatever, I would have to broach the condom conversation. And even that, putting that expectation on women to be the one to broach it is a level of pressure where a lot of women don't want to be that woman. Have you felt that, Annabelle, before? Yes. I've also gotten, like, comments like, I think I'm allergic to condoms. Oh. Oh. But, mate, you're not. (laughs) You're just lazy. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) You just don't want to wear them. I think then the other really important thing to note here is, like, the pill is – 
been so huge for women and it's been so important. I mean, for me with endo, I I take the pill as medication. Like I don't actually take the pill as contraception. I take it as medication because it helps manage pain and I know a whole lot of women are like that. But also I know a whole lot of women who are able to do so much more with their lives because they have the power to take this pill. So that should be on the record, absolutely. Like we're huge fans of it. But it's just that I feel like our conversations about the pill and about condoms never sort of enter this sphere where we're talking about the fact that it's a huge burden to put on your body to take the pill mm. every day. And just because I have to take it for medication doesn't mean that it agrees with every woman's body. Truthfully, there are parts of it that don't agree with my body. The pros just outweigh the cons. But for a lot of women, the cons outweigh the pros. Well, the cons outweigh the pros for me. I haven't been on the pill for years now because it exacerbated my mental illness at the time. Like I was really struggling with anxiety and a little bit of depression and it made those things significantly worse for me. That is not to say that women listening should go off the pill, do whatever is best for you. Talk to your doctor because that's what you did. Doctor, yeah, absolutely. But it is not a revelation to anyone to say the pill can be quite significant. It can have significant effects on you personally. I mean, look at that for me. Pamphlet that comes with it. Like there are side effects. Yeah, exactly. And I think. I mean, some of the quotes given to BuzzFeed were really illuminating. One woman told BuzzFeed, I don't want to put too much pressure on it. I don't want to ruin the moment when it comes to sex. And I do feel like that's definitely a narrative we're fed all the time to be like, do you want to interrupt the flow of this? And it's like, there are significant consequences if this doesn't go well, you know, STDs or even pregnancies, if you don't want a baby, like Mm. they are significant consequences. And women are often told, young women are often told to never kind of put a foot out of line or to never disrupt a moment or to never be the nag in this scenario that they never feel comfortable actually asking for what they need and want. Yeah, don't be inconvenient. Don't put any level of burden onto your male sexual partner. Another woman spoke to BuzzFeed and said, I think back to my most recent partner and the first time we slept together, which was months ago, I did not ask about a condom and I think a lot of it stems from fear of rejection. I just have this fear of bringing condom use up with people and I know better. That's the thing. Like, I do know better. And I 100% know that what I'm doing is dangerous and could have serious consequences for me and future partners down the road. But in the moment, I find it really hard to say, hey, this is my body and I'm not going to let you do anything with it. Obviously, this is all really tied closely to heterosexual sex. I'm sure when it comes to other dynamics, maybe it's completely different. But speaking as a heterosexual woman, I am just so sick of this. I'm so sick of hearing that men are making it difficult. Men are taking 5% less enjoyment and saying, well, I can't give up 5% enjoyment. I want 100% enjoyment. And to get that, I will put you at risk. Well, I think this line for me, but in that moment, I find it really hard to say, hey, this is my body and I'm not going to let you do anything you want to it. Speaks a lot to how actually, I don't feel like so many of us feel like we own our bodies very well because I feel like they're often public property. Like we often feel like we don't have a lot of agency over our bodies. I mean, the constant conversation about abortion proves that anyway. I also think it ties into this idea that when it comes to heterosexual sex, and as you said, that is what we're talking about here, the main characters are the men and the women are the vessels. I remember going to a psychologist a few years ago when I'd become single and I was dealing with vaginismus and I was like, talking to her being like, I don't know how I'll find a partner. Like who would ever date me with this? Because who would ever deal with hurdles when it comes to sex who will ever sort of give up their own joy and I remember she looked at me and she said what about your joy she's like not only have you not had joy or pleasure in this space for years 
you experience pain and it's like you haven't put yourself at the center of that all you're worried about is how this is affecting the men around you mm. and I remember that being a massive like slap in the face to me to be like I've only ever considered this condition with respect to how it affects other people not because I'm particularly thoughtful or humble but because we are always told that men are the main characters in heterosexual sex not the women that I'm not the one that matters yeah absolutely and I, I, all of this makes me think like there should be a standard a good man, a good sexual partner, a good heterosexual guy should take it on himself that when he is about to sleep with a woman, he brings up the condom situation. He has a condom that can be used with him. I have friends who are single and who have immediately kind of been with a partner, had sex with someone without a condom because the guy wasn't prepared or didn't raise it and the woman felt like she couldn't. But then known that is not a partner for me. Like seen that interaction and gone, that is not a good guy. I actually think we need to raise the bar and be like that is a decent guy thing to do and if you don't have a condom with you if you don't go to any of the mental effort to bring one women go to the effort of remembering to take a pill every single day the bar is on the ground to expect men to remember to take an in-date condom with them to dates and if he doesn't do that if you're dating someone who doesn't do that for you don't date that guy. Like, yeah. Don't be with him if he's not willing to take your health or your well-being into consideration. It feels like the absolute bare minimum, but it's the bare minimum that so few men actually do. It's an interesting time that this is coming up because we spend great parts or great deals of our day going through the Ask Shameless, Shameless Mailbag inbox. And I feel like one of the key threads that we read is, hey, my partner, both male or female, is doing this thing and I don't know if I should be asking for more or I don't know if I deserve more. And you read these things and I honestly think with so many of these newsletter columns that we write, we could honestly just write two words like dump him. Dump him. We mm. always joke about that being like just just stop accepting that. But I think young women are so rarely told that they are allowed to ask for more. Like we are so rarely told that we deserve more mm. that you can find good healthy dynamics where you don't have to compromise on stuff. I think that there's this attitude amongst young women and I was probably like this too when I was much younger that to be with someone both in maybe a romantic or sexual sense is to compromise on something that nobody's perfect and I'll just cop it on the chin. It's like no, don't cop that. Mm. Like ask for perfect. Yeah. I think that's totally reasonable. And I think particularly when it comes to the sex conversation, not many women feel like they can ask for what they deserve. Yeah, I agree. I think on top of that, if anyone's listening going, well, I'm a woman and I actually don't enjoy using condoms in sex, that's fine. That's a different story. That's a different story. At least be given the option to say <laughs> no. Like you should be given the option by a guy with a fucking condom in his hand that is easily used right now to go, do we want to use this? You should be allowed to say no. If you want to take that risk, if you want to do that, your body, your choice, woman, go for it, like power to you. I just think if you're not given that option, if he doesn't go to any length to make that option available to you, if he doesn't make you feel comfortable about choosing to use a condom, shit guy, dump him, do not <laughs> sleep with him, leave that house straight away. Well, there you go, guys. You've heard it straight from the horse's mouth. <laughs> Michelle Andrews, thanks so much for coming. <laughs> guys, I am so, so intrigued and so excited to see how people respond on your Say Friday with this because I feel like there will be lots of thoughts and I can't wait to start polling people on a few questions we have on this topic. But that, for now, is all we've got time for. So if you want to come and find us, we are on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. That is where your Say Friday takes place every single week. We'll be ask you about everything we spoke about in the episode yeah and maybe after this episode fuck make america great again make condoms cool again it's my new slogan <laughs> she, she, she can't be stopped can't stop won't stop 
Guys, thank you so much for listening. Annabelle Lee, do you have anything to add? Dump him. Yeah, dump him. <laughs> That's it. Dump him. And by the way, thanks for everyone listening to the Miley Cyrus series. I don't know why I need to throw that in. I'm just excited by Miley Cyrus. Listen to it on Monday. Yeah, we will be back in your ears for part two of that Miley Cyrus series on Monday. Woo. Bye. Bye.